Welcome to Down in the Data, an audio series where we talk to the data science and analytics staff of the Indiana Department of Correction and learn how they use data to solve problems. Hello again. My name is Chris Covey, and I am pleased to bring you another episode of Down in the Data. In a previous episode, we learned a little about the Indiana Department of Correction data analytics team. You remember Eric? Yeah. Uh, I'm Eric Ballinger. I am the Director of Data Science and Analytics for the Indiana Department of Correction. Benjamin? Uh, I'm Benjamin Covington. I'm an Operation Analyst for the Data Science and Analytics Division. And Sarah? I am Sarah Shelley. I am the Chief Digital Officer for the Department of Correction. Thanks again for joining us. This episode picks up on part two of our previous discussion. <laughs> Why would you ever be sorry for that? <laughs> <laughs> What's to apologize for, Eric? It's like, it's like a, he was starting using the terms from me. I was going to say, I struggled not to parallel that to predictive modeling in neural systems. So I was easily willing to go further afield. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. We have taken up a lot of your time. Didn't really expect it to go this, this long. I, I want to put a question out there that it may be cut into your... Uh, earlier into what you said as well or not, but uh, because we're at CTA, I, I wonder this. Not every technology and data science setup across various states is as closely tied as Indiana is. This is an arrangement that is it's not entirely unique, but you know it's not ubiquitous either. Um, do you think it helps? to have technology and data science as closely tied as they are in, in Indiana. And yeah. you are already nodding, so I, I will give a follow-up. And, and then, if so, because apparently so, um, yeah. why? Yeah, so I think that it allows our people to be more subject matter experts. It sounds like there's a lot of people out there that their centralized IT people are the ones that kind of pull information. There are no data scientists or, in, you know, there's no analytics going on, um, and it maybe is a little bit of analytics because it's reporting, but that's it. But it's not by embedded people who have insights into the information, certainly not. Um, and I think that, and you may or may not know, I, I don't know, that we are actually the only division in the entire Department of Correction that is actually outlined in our administrative code. So we have to exist. And I think it's because it really helps us drive that mission that we talked about earlier with the Constitution of the State of Indiana where we are rehabilitative and how do you do that? How, how do you make sure what you're doing actually works? Um, and I would say w- what it is that this embedded group does. And it has grown um, quite a bit in the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, it's just been four years, and we've gone from yeah. technically the data science division was me. Um, technically, there were one and a half of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with the various foldings, we're now up to eight or nine eight, people, yeah. yeah, including me. Yeah, so I mean, that shows that through the kind of meaningful insights that we've been able to provide for the department that, you know, the department has bought into both figuratively and literally 
um, to to that group and what we can do to kind of drive home the the mission of the department. So, no, I think it's important, and I think all of us at our hearts in corrections really do want to not make it a punitive, terrible place. And I don't think that's any. I think that's maybe old corrections. I don't, I don't think that that is something that we want anymore. And so anybody who's bought into the, the rehabilitation and, and the reentry movements and corrections need to be investing in, in their data teams and giving them the resources to do more data science rather than just uh, reporting. So, could, could you quickly ask her the same question so that it's coming from you if you do end up having calls to use it? No, I like I like the way you put it. That was that was perfect. <laughs> well, that, my fo- I don't know if that will cut well anymore. <laughs> no, my my follow up to that is on that theme that since we're at a corrections technology association where we're sharing ideas, we're learning about different vendors and different tools that are available. As someone who's not the Indiana Department of Correction, someone that does not have a data analysis team that doesn't have these brilliant individuals sitting in this room working with them on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Can't they just buy something off the shelf to do it? Technically, yes. You can buy off-the-shelf uh, AI and machine learning algorithms, and there's some people out there selling software that they claim is no-code machine learning equipment. And I have a feeling it will be very much so like the SAS Enterprise Miner, as long as you know exactly what to feed into it, it will give you a result. As long as you have data prepared in a very specific fashion, it will be fine. You still have to understand still, the data. Yeah, but it's it, it, you're going to end up with, instead of ending up with a model like Sarah's original model that says, here's this thing you should do, blah, you're going to end up with something that's much closer to mine that says, this person has a 90% chance of violence, but you won't know why. But even also, even well, if you have to understand what the data right. is and the fallacies with the data, yep. mm-hmm. you still need somebody who has interacted with the data enough to have that knowledge. So I would posit you still need to have at least a, a data analytics division that is that can do that. That's what. Sorry. Yeah. No. 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 I interrupt mean, you. No. That, that's <laughs> fine because that because that is part of the the. The problem with a lot of the solutions that are presented out here is that it makes it sound like I, there is an off-the-shelf solution, and they will tell you that there is an off-the-shelf solution, and it might be, as long as there's someone there who understands what they're looking at. Um, I am not that person. Um, I am very much so a fan of open source information um, and open source so when someone tells me that they have a machine learning algorithm that they'll sell me for $20,000, I think, wow, I have a machine learning algorithm that I can create myself for free using uh, Python and R. Um, and I will know why it works. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't work, I will know why. And if someone comes and asks us, how did you do this? We can tell them so much more about that process, so much more about what it means to break that down so that it can be translated to their context. Because, it, like you say, it, it, it's not even just knowing the data. Knowing the data is huge, but you also need... We're not at the point yet where AI has achieved a grounded philosophy of science-based research mindset. It's, it's, but it's fine. I don't expect it of it. Uh, 
knowing what to do when you hit bumps in the road, knowing what to do when you face logistical constraints, knowing how to adapt your research questions to be pertinent and use the, the data that you have available in productive ways, that's something that you're going to need people there for. Because yeah. even the model that I have for, for assaults, that I say it's a black box. It, it isn't. Um, it's just explaining it would be far more complicated than it would make any sense. Because the idea behind a, um, a multi-level model is that it changes based on context. So what I would have to look at is if you are in this cell house, here's what the equation would look like to generate this result. And I can now look at each one of those, each of those variables and, and the coefficients that go with it and say, okay, so because this guy in this cell house just lost his job, that, that moved him up. But his mental health score didn't change, so that moved him back down. So I, I, I can explain all of it, but I, it would have to be on a almost case-by-case basis, uh, which is essentially black box. Um, but if I am, in fact, dumping it into some off-the-shelf machine learning algorithm, I don't get that. I get an 80%. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> um, there's no shortcut. Graduate students are a, are legion. And go, go out and hire one. And, well, they you and I feel like, I feel mm-hmm. like interactions just in out in the world, not even just uh, in corrections, have shown us that there are issues with just turning mm-hmm. AI mm-hmm. loose without the guidance of a person. Um, so I I will just double down. We we need to have professionals that are doing um, their thing in the specialty field that they're in um, and not just trusting AI is not there yet. All right, we got the assault model. And in the next couple of episodes, what we want to do is kind of dig into other types of models and the types of tools that you use and how you come up with these problems, your problem statement. Mm -hmm. And then I'd really love to pull back into talking about how you formed these groups of um, subject matter experts and what kind of feedback. I mean, how did you set that up? Um, Because... The goal of this is, one, to tell your story and have people understand that they have a bunch of information at their disposal that they could use. Mm -hmm. You should take notes on that because that there in that is a, like topic that we can discuss. Uh And some of that information (laughs) is federally mandated. So, I mean, so it's not even... Yeah. Like You're my, doing anything special for this. No, you have to collect it yeah. anyway. Well, right. Like, a ton of people are like, you need to have an instrument and you need to measure the things. And it's like, no, just use what you've got. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make more work for people. And then now, on the other side of that, an instrument would be much better in yeah. some regards. Because just like we we're talking about the assault Not model versus the contraband. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. But just like we're talking about the you know, the accidentally using the assault model to produce contraband and the recidivist to produce, to, to, to predict uh, uh, assaults. Yeah. 
an instrument designed to find mental health challenges or substance abuse challenges will be much better, much better at it than, well, we, we had to count how many times they had a substance abuse uh, conduct report. So that guy clearly has a substance abuse problem. You could probably get there, but obviously the thing built to do that will work. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes, but again, a lot of this information is federally mandated, so you're collecting it anyway. Why are you just putting in a frequency chart? One of the nice things about that is if if you're looking at all of the data you do have, I mean, I say all. Good luck. If you're looking, if you're trying to sort well through the data you do have that's federally mandated and you're, you are finding that there are still some things that you're simply not predicting well, that does still highlight for you, then this is perhaps a domain where we want to invest in some type of measure, some other way of gathering data that is going to be particularly pertinent for this outcome or this intervention. Well, with that, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, of course. Whew. Hey there. This concludes our recorded discussion. Eric, Benjamin, and Sarah are amazing people that have dedicated their lives to making the world better. Thanks for that. This recording is brought to you from the Barry Down Government Consulting Team. If you have any questions, I can be reached at C-C-O-V-E-Y at BarryDown.com. You can find out about the Government Consulting Team at BarryDown.com. This episode was produced by Eric and myself. I'd also like to thank Doug Rowe, Seth Hedstrom, and Chad Snow for making this possible. Until next time.